box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Willem van Denden for our podcast spin-off from the main show where we go through all of our highlights of the past week, our teams, our moments of the week and, and plenty more. Derek, uh, was this week a difficult week for you to find your nominations given that um, you know it uh, is the post-season in the major European and, uh, and, and South American competitions um, that we haven't, we're not at the World Cup just yet, so there's no games to speak of. Um, did you have a difficult time making your selections this week? I did, Rob. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was pretty thin gruel, and that's not the ex-Holland goalkeeper, uh, Tim Krul. It's, 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 there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot out there, so I was really scouring the leagues, and you know, at mm. times I was in the Gold Cup, and at other times mm. I was in the Brazil, Brazil Premier League. Thankfully, um, Websites like the BBC have got it all organised for you. Um, and, yeah, I managed to find a couple that we can talk about. Oh, well, well done. Okay, well, why don't you uh, – I know Willem, he's done all of his homework there, sitting um, – looking very eager um, to get going. But why don't you kick us off, mate, with your game of the week? Yeah, I've gone for starting in the women's game and uh, Spain versus Panama. Uh, this was a, a pre-World uh, Cup friendly uh but I felt like this was significant because it was a 7-0, let's face it, route for uh, for Spain. Um, but it was significant because Alexia Pulitas made her long-awaited return to the Spain team. And they are just such a better team with this, uh, this lady in the side, of course, the celebrated Barcelona uh, player, Ballon d'Or winner. She'd not played since July 2022. She'd had a really serious knee injury that she suffered before the European Championships. But looking at it, it didn't look like she'd been away from the game. She scored a goal um, with a nice little chip over the Panama goalkeeper in the uh, 22nd minute, and she managed to get through 62 minutes herself. Yes, look, this wasn't the most competitive game she'll play. Uh, Spain had 75% uh, of, uh, of the possession. Um, some other stuff for Spain too. Una Battle came uh, in. She is uh, off to Barcelona from Manchester United. Uh, and she was amongst the group that last 15 uh, a group of players who didn't want to play under George Vilda. But uh, she is now back. Uh, Etana von Matti was an unused substitute as well. She was uh, she was an, abs- an absentee under that last 15. But um, you know, the Champions League winner is now back on the bench. Uh, Spain have one more uh, warm-up game against Denmark uh, to come next Thursday. And just so you know, they're going to be based at Palmerston North during the World Cup. And of course, their group will include Japan, Costa Rica and Zambia. So uh, Spain just putting a marker down, guys, as a team that we need to watch this tournament. 
Yeah, well, as we see the, the, the sort of the, the rise and rise of women's sport, these are the, the nations that we're expecting to see be amongst the very elite on a regular basis in the in the, the years to come, aren't we? Really, I mean, it wasn't the last World Cup uh, in France where we saw the emergence of some of the, uh, the the European sides who have have sort of been sleeping giants start to to come in and take those top ten spots. Which you know, as a Australian football supporters, we we almost felt it was our divine right to hold on to, and uh, until we got bumped out of them so you know with uh, Alexia Pateas back in uh, the World Cup but uh, it's only a better tournament for having her there but I'm going to stick with well pretty much most of uh, my, in fact all of my selections are, are going to be from uh, from the women's side of things and, uh, and my game of the week um, not particularly uh, a great game of the week for England it was their farewell match uh, uh, we talked about it briefly uh, nil all against Portugal uh, they went 30 matches unbeaten um up until they uh, lost to Australia. So Serena Wiegmann is having to, to uh, engineer an entirely different uh, atmosphere from, from this squad. And we, we did briefly touch on the fact that uh, it's not quite a curse, but it does happen from time to time where you see a, a, a side win a major trophy and then fall off a cliff uh, not long after it. Sometimes they stay on for, for, for eras and uh, and they, they, um, they create dynasties. But in other cases in the case of the Italian men's side, uh, they win the Itali- the uh, Euros against the odds against uh, England and then don't even qualify for back-to-back World Cups. So um, England are, are missing Leah Williamson, Beth Mead, Frank Kirby, uh, all knee injuries. Uh, this is the, the, the curse of, of women's football, ACL injuries. And and Lucy Bronze has, has come out uh, and, and, and herself having um, emerged um, off the back of a World Cup eight years ago. She was a peripheral player going into that tournament. Now she's a uh, one of the first selected every single time. So the the challenge for Serena Wiedemann, um and I, I mentioned in the main show, the BBC reported a flat performance, lacked fluidity and goals. Uh, uh, and, and that's not something that we're used to having Serena Wiedemann's, uh Lioness's side uh, described as. Um, Derek, you talk about uh, Spain's final hit out. Uh, the Lionesses are having their final hit out in Brisbane against Canada when they arrive in Australia in Brisbane. So it'll be interesting from a couple of points of view, first of all, to see if Vigman has managed to finesse that squad and settle on a consistent lineup. Uh, from an Australian point of view, it'll be interesting to see how Canada goes because obviously they're the, the big hurdle in our group. So, uh, yeah, England, uh, we expected them to come to Australia with a lot more uh, excitement and hype around them, but um, the number four ranked team in the world yeah, sort of not quite uh, ticking all the boxes um, as uh, they're about to, to jump on the big jet uh, and fly out to Australia, Will. In the spirit of full disclosure and pulling back the curtain on what was a pretty dry week, Rob, you've done very well to dress that game up. What was the score in that one? Nil all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my game of the week comes from the under-21 Euros. It was France 1, Ukraine 3. The French took the lead. Uh, but the Ukrainians struck three times, uh, bang, 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 into the onion bag from there. Uh, two goals to Sudikov and a late sealer from Artem Bondarenko see them through to the uh, semi-final against Spain. Uh, Derek, one of your favourites, Mikhailo Mudrik, also out there for the tournament, you may argue, uh, back in his proper weight division after a pretty limp sort of first six months of the Premier League. Uh, we think of Ukraine and their senior side at the Euros over the past couple of tournaments. Um as a bit of an older bunch, I know, Rob, you often mention your mate Zlaty Angelovsky from North Macedonia. So I'll mention my mate Anatol Shramkov from uh, Ukraine. And he often says that, you know, Yarmolenko and Konop Klyanka, they're as old as the hills up top. But good to see the youth coming through. Uh, England and Israel are the other sides in the semis. Uh, oh, excuse me. So 
Ukraine are through to play Spain uh, in the semi-final, and England and Israel will play in the other one. So those matches to be played on Thursday morning. Yeah, okay. Good call. Well done. Well, look, I'm going to jump in straight away and, and go with my team of the week because this is the 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 the, um, the one um, element of the program that you might think I did a fair bit of deep mining into the England team, but everyone loves an underdog, don't they? And we all like to, to sort of pick out an underdog. I've identified a 50 to one shot in the Women's World Cup that I think, and I've actually, I, I was so convinced of, of how uh, good a chance they are that I actually chucked 10 bucks on them at 50 to one myself after I finished preparing my notes. So off the back of the Lionesses slipping halo, my team of the week isn't a side that's actually played a game in this past week, but uh, it's the uh, the team that will play uh, the co-host New Zealand in the opening match. They're grouped with the Football Fern, Switzerland, and Alan Stajic's Philippines, and that team is Nor- the Norwegian's women's uh, side, the uh, team affectionately known as, as the Grasshoppers. So they're coached by Hegerisa, uh, a member of the famous side who won the second World Cup in 1995 after they lost the first final to the USA. They then went on to conquer the USA in that famous Sydney Olympic final where they won the gold medal. So they've got the pedigree and a FIFA ranking of 12, which makes me sort of really wonder why they're a 50 to one shot uh, for the World Cup, given that they're uh, they're already ranked 12. But look, it's just not the past glories in the near top 10 position in the rankings that mark them out for me. Um, before the name Erling Haaland became the byword for Norwegian football, there was a player from the Scandinavian kingdom who'd already won the Ballon d'Or, been named European Footballer of the Year, and who holds the record for most Champions League goals in a season alongside her record as all-time highest goal scorer in the Champions League, which was capped by a 16-minute hat-trick in the 2019 final. And I'm sure you've worked out that I'm speaking of none other than Ada Hegebert. Anyone who observes the women's game over most recent times will be well aware that in 2017, Hegebert decided to stop representing a national side as a protest over a dispute with the Norwegian Football Federation and their treatment of women missing the 2019 World Cup. Due to that protest, she ended her exile in March 2022 with a hat-trick against Kosovo. Now, incredibly, despite all the success, she's only 27 and alongside the likes of Guru Ritten, described as an elite technician with high football intelligence and a ferocious work rate and a pivotal figure in Chelsea's domestic league and cup double, in a side with no less than Sam Kerr, she laid on more assists than any other woman in the Women's Super League and scored nine goals for good measure. So my bolter to win the whole thing. Norway at 50 to one, uh, led by Hegerisa, legend of Norwegian football and uh, and Ada Hegerberg. Have I convinced you guys? Halfway, yeah, almost. I hadn't, uh, hadn't considered it, but no, I, uh, I, I do remember learning about um, Risa when we did the, I think it was during lockdown, Rob, and we had to do a few of the retrospective episodes. Mm-hmm. And we looked back at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, which would have been 20 yes. years on. I think we had uh, your brother yeah. Tim on to discuss um, the, the finals of the men's and women's. So, yeah, no, I do recall. And that's nice to see that uh, that, has, uh, that, that her, continues, her career has continued on and she's, she's making an impact as a, as a manager in addition to her, her playing legacy. And Ada Hegerberg, Derek, um, I mean, I think that her name stands um, side by side with, uh, with, with the biggest of big names in women's football. Yeah, well, um, if I remember correctly, did she retire from my cover? That she retired from international football because of inequality between men and women's pay and standards mm. between the two. So she's obviously mm. now back in the back in the red, and she's clearly a um, a tremendous uh, talent there. In 
Scandinavia. And Rob, if you don't mind, I'd like to stick in the Scandinavian region for my team of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go all the way back to the very, very first qualifying round of the Champions League, which is apparently is going on right now. It was a four-team tournament that took place in Iceland, and it comprised of four teams, uh, one from um, one from Iceland uh, itself, one from San Marino, one from uh, Montenegro, and another one who was an Andorra club, and it was the Icelandic team uh, Bridablik, who uh, beat Trey Penne, the uh, plucky San Marino, Marino outfit. It doesn't matter if it's international football or domestic football, they tend to get hammered by the looks of it. They lost 7-1 to the home Icelandic team, and then they played um, Budupnost Podgorica, the uh, Montenegrins, and, and then beat them 5-0 uh, as well. So an amazing week if you're uh, Breeder Bleak, and if you are Breeder Bleak, then you, you now go into um, the first qualifying round of the uh, of the Champions League, they will be playing um, Shamrock Rovers. I think uh, I suspect that is where the run is going to end because Shamrock Rovers are, I dare say, just a little bit um, above Breedablick. Breedablick have got a coefficient, by the way, of six. Uh, Shamrock have got a coefficient of nine. Well, for those uh, who are the uninitiated, just to explain the coefficient. Well, that's just based on your. Um, historic past performance uh, in European or UEFA. So what's a good coefficient? Oh, it'd be something like 80 or 90 or something, you know, if you're so that, that's a, So that is yeah. a fairly stark contrast from the... Yeah. From the, the, so the in, in, this, in this qualifying round, the highest coefficient is Dinamo Zagreb with 55. They're going to come in at the second qualifying round stage. Young boys coming in at the playoff round. So there's... There's still quite a way to go, but Bridiblik now are in a they're in a, a, a draw that includes the likes of Ferran Varkos, uh, Karabag, Bate, Borisov, um, you know, am- amongst others. But hey, you've got to start somewhere, and of course, Rob, not not everyone is playing in the Champions League this season, are they? So um, <laughs> Bridiblik, you know, are are there for what it's worth. Just a little bit uh, about them. Uh, they did win the Iceland. Uh, top division last season they're they're known as the drakes that's their uh their nickname the uh Blickar. um and they've got a capacity of three thousand uh people at the stadium one thousand seven hundred is seated and in the past they have produced the likes of uh, uh gilfi sugerson amongst others so they're obviously a bit of a a place where players can come through but you can't accuse us on box to box of not scouring world football looking for something to talk about. And yes, you uh, had a nil nil earlier. Well, I've got a team that scored twelve goals in two games, and they are uh, uh, they are rocking their way into the first qualifying world of the Champions League. So well done, Bridget. Well, 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 while you've been talking, um, that, um, I've just done a little bit of desktop research, and Bridget uh, uh, is the home of Baldar a god in Germanic mythology. Um, in Norse mythology, he's the son of the great Odin. Now, that's a god in the pantheon of gods that we all know. Um, the goddess Frigg and has numerous brothers such as Thor, 
I mean, who would have thought that you'd connect Thor to Britablick? So, I mean, this is a mighty uh, um, sort of back catalogue of stories that Britablick has. I mean, no wonder they're going well. Um, they, they might do a, a Leicester City and come home from, you know, Bolter's odds of uh, 50 to 1 Norway, 5,000 to 1 Leicester, Britablick. And Thor comes, from, Thor comes from Phillip Island, Rob, so there's links everywhere. Okay, please explain. Oh, who plays Thor? Oh, got it. Yeah, of course. What's his name? Oh, Hemsworth. Yeah. Uh, my team of the week comes from Tokyo, FC Tokyo, under Pete Klamowski. Famous old uh, club with links back as far as 1935, which is pretty old for a, a Japanese club under their old moniker of Tokyo Gas. They've underperformed, though, in the J1, uh, or rather the J League era. Uh, they've never won it, but edges it. Pains often to tell us that they are a, a pretty big beast in Japan. They've lost five of their last seven before Klamovsky took over, uh, so that uh, constituted a change. They've enjoyed the new manager bounce. They beat the Goya Grampus 2-0, who were second, and then they backed it up on the weekend, 1-0 over uh, Kashiwa Raisol. We know Klamovsky's story well, Rob. He was Ange's offsider with both the Socceroos and then uh, Yokohama F. Marinos when Ange won it there. Uh, he then moved to Shimizu S. Pulse in the top flight. Couldn't quite get it to stick there. Uh, dropped down a level and had some really good early success with uh, Monterio Yamagata. Not quite sure why they did, uh, that didn't uh, kick on. I think they were pretty close to getting promoted a couple of times, but ultimately that came to a close. But this hopefully will, uh, will be his level. Uh, they can, uh, yeah, hopefully he can bed down properly. Obviously knows the country and their football. Yeah. Well, he's been there for, you know, the better part of well, at least six or seven years now uh, to be conservative. So, yeah, hopefully uh, this week, Uroa Reds, they can uh, make it three out of three on Saturday. So, FC Tokyo, um, team of the week. All right, well, um, job for you for the next few weeks in the midst of the World Cup is to get one of our, uh, our regular uh, um, Asian um, football correspondents on. Hot um, topic, Derek? Yeah, look, a bit of an indulgence, but I did want to talk about the retirement of uh, Cesc Fabregas uh, at 36. He has hung up his boots. He was at Como in Serie B. Um, and, of course, you know, that's a 20-year career since he burst onto the scene as a, a 15- or 16-year-old. Um, you know, this is right slap bang in the middle of my Arsenal season to get holding watching era and I remember uh Cesc Fabregas coming through a lot of talk on the terraces about this guy we signed him <clears throat> from Barcelona using a bit of a, a loophole I remember Barcelona weren't happy at the time that we kind of snaffled him up as a 14 15 year old made it into the Arsenal first team at 15 or 16 um years old and by 17 he was starting games and you could tell more or less straight away that this guy was was really special and I've got a couple of memories that I'll call out the first was a home Champions League quarter final against Juventus and that was the year that Arsenal reached the final it was the first leg it was a significant game because Patrick Vieira who had left Arsenal the season before for Juventus was returning to Highbury and Arsenal were lining up with a 17 year old Spanish midfielder that not not many people had heard of, and he actually got the opener in this game uh, into the clock end where I was stood. A, a beautiful finish from outside the box. I actually found the program for this game the other day, and it made me made me smile. But it just showed you just what was to come from this guy. And then a few years later, by 2010, he was captain of the Arsenal team. So this was four years later. So he's still a very young 
player at that stage. He scored a penalty against Barcelona in a uh, first leg of a knockout again in uh, at the Emirates Stadium. Turned out that he had a broken leg when he took this penalty, and I remember it. It was down our end again, and he just kind of bat- battered the ball into the goal and kind of hobbled off. Um, uh, amazing, you know, commitment against the team and that he played against, you know, played for as a boy. He's a, he's a Catalan through and through, and there he was banging this penalty into the, uh, into the, into the North Bank at, at Emirates Stadium. Um, he only won the one trophy with us, was the FA Cup, and of course he left and joined Barcelona and Pep, a move that was always on the cards, before then joining Chelsea, where he had some success, Monaco, and then Como, he was part of that amazing Spain side as well. And then Xavi and Iniesta Busquets, but Fabregas was a huge part of that team as well. I think he started the World Cup final and was instrumental. I don't know. I think he might have been brought on as a sub actually in that game. Um, he's probably one of my favourite Arsenal players of all time. If you hadn't guessed already, <laughs> and, and and I think even though he played for Barca, Chelsea, I think he'll only be a legend at one place, and that's Arsenal because he started his career there. He meant so much to the fans. I don't think when he went to Barcelona, he was there with Messi and all the rest of it. And then at Chelsea, you know, I think they liked him, but he's not a legend. He's definitely a legend at Arsenal, uh, even if it was just for throwing that that slice of pizza at Alex Ferguson. So, um, well done, says Fabregas. Top career. One of my favourites. Yeah, no, well said and and uh, well, well remembered, mate. Um, uh, 110 games for Spain, no less. And his name cropped up. Um, I'm, I'm finally getting around to read uh, reading Rob Tanner's book, 5,000 to 1, the story of the 2015-16 uh, Leicester season. And I mentioned uh, Leicester briefly earlier on in, in, in a couple of contexts in uh, in the, the show. Uh, but he, he bobs up um, as one of the key protagonists in that infamous game in 2016 where Spurs had to win at Stamford Bridge and break the, uh, I think it was the 26-year drought at the time. And Fabregas, uh, alongside of Eden Hazard, said, we will not let Spurs win. Uh, We are going to get a result out of this game for Leicester and help them win uh, the title. And uh, they were integral in in helping uh, Chelsea come back. So uh, he might be a legend at Arsenal. He might be a legend at Barcelona. But uh, he, for other reasons, he's a legend at uh, at Leicester City as well. what about you, Willem? What have you got for a hot topic? Yeah, Derek's chosen to look back, and I might look back a little bit further at uh, Aaron Moy's career, if, uh, if that's all right. Rob, um, you spoke to him, or spoke of him sort of significantly in the main show, but I think it's worth picking out a couple of other pretty key uh, points in a career that will go down as one of uh, the very best out of Australia. Early days um, out of Westfield Sports High, along with so many uh, esteemed soccerers and sportsmen sort of generally, started his professional career at St Mirren, and I think we all remember the sort of promotional material the day the Wanderers were announced or founded, if you like. He was one of the three initial signs. Signings. Really got going though at Melbourne City uh, and 2015-16 I think lives in the uh, the memory of all A-League fans that sort of triumvirate up top with Fornaroli and Harry Navio. They didn't win silverware under uh, Jon Vanteskipte but uh, they scored a, a bag full of goals. Certainly one of the most entertaining sides uh, in A-League history. That first season at Huddersfield though Rob, 2016-17, he played 48 games in the championship uh, as they earned promotion back to the English top flight for the first time since 71-72. Uh, so he played pretty much every game. He scored in two shootouts in the uh, in the knockout uh, 
uh, rather the uh, the championship playoffs, excuse me, and won their player of the season uh, award that year. And you still see it sort of variously on social media, the Huddersfield fans just paying tribute to how much they love this guy and what he meant uh, to their little club, proving itself as uh, a, you know a competitive club amongst some some much bigger sides. Did prove himself in the Premier League as well. Two years with Huddersfield, one with Brighton, uh, and a clear man of the match uh, performance at Old Trafford uh, comes to mind. All ended sort of quickly. It was a bizarre contract clause. I remember covering it on this show that saw him move to to China from Brighton. I think it was a clause in the contract that meant he could only be sold to a Chinese club, and they uh, they cashed in on that. Uh, then the, uh, the the sort of difficult period we we spoke of uh, previously when he was stranded without football in China while his family. Uh, his wife and kids, so immediate family, were in, in Scotland. But to uh, to move to Celtic and, and win three trophies was a, a great way to go out. And through the Socceroos, uh, left out of the 2015 Asian Cup squad, which which seemed strange in retrospect, but immediately after that was the main man for, for at least three or four years through that Russian 2018 uh, qualifying campaign alongside Milay Yedinak. Uh, and then, yeah, to return to the national team off the back of zero club football and play every minute against the UAE, Peru, uh, and then at the uh, at the World Cup as well. Showed just how passionate he was about the Socceroos and no idea what's next, Rob. I don't think we'll hear from him. He won't be in the media. <laughs> you don't see him as a uh, beating the chess sort of manager on the touch, touch line. So that might be the end uh, of what we actually hear from Aaron, but all the best to him, his family, and, and whatever comes next. He's given uh, more than enough to Australian football. Great career oh, over the past decade. No, well said, mate, as, as well as uh, Derek uh, remembered Cesc Fabregas, mate. You've done equally well with uh, with Aaron Moy um, and, uh, you know, that period where he lost his brother Alex, um, who you just need to read uh, his, his social posts at the time to, to hear uh, how much pain he was uh, he was going through uh, to, uh, to to lose uh, his brother, who he was so close to. And uh, uh, for, for everything that he gave to all of us, um, you know, whether you're a Wanderers fan or whether you uh, followed any of the other clubs that um, that he played for, City and um, Huddersfield, Brighton, etc., um, he um, he did a heap of good things with uh, with the Socceroos. And if it wasn't for him, as you and, and Edge talked about in the main show um, at the World Cup, um, well, we probably wouldn't have got out of that group. Um, and uh, certainly that um, that shift he put in against Peru was uh, was quite incredible. Aaron Moy, um, good luck to you, mate. Hope you made plenty of dough in China so you don't have to get into the media afterwards. Uh, look, I'm going to bring it home uh, with a, a, a touching briefly on the Matildas. Um, and and this, this is a bit of a gripe that I've got against the code that I grew up with. Uh, um, for obvious reasons, uh, Channel 7 are the free-to-air uh, broadcaster of, of the Women's World Cup, so they're not going to, uh, to broadcast or, or put um, competitive um, matches on against the... Uh, the Matildas, um, so they're you know working around the Women's World Cup, but not the NRL. Um, I should have done this ages ago, but uh, um, the uh, the NRL fixture um, confirms my worst suspicions that that in the one market where you can still buy tickets for the Matildas in Brisbane. Uh, you can't get a ticket for love or money in Melbourne um, again, against Canada. Obviously, Amy Park, only 30,000 people. Uh, the the Sydney, Sydney match, uh, Matildas versus Republic of Ireland, absolutely sold out. But the Matildas-Nigeria match is on a Thursday night and nine uh, are showing the Broncos versus the Roosters. And whilst the Matildas are playing at the Broncos' home ground at Suncorp Stadium, the Broncos will be playing just down the road at the Gabba, where... I've watched a lot of rugby league over my time. I can't ever remember a game being played at the Gabba. So uh, disappointing, um, not exactly the kind of bipartisan patriotic support for women's sport, let alone a competitive sport that uh, uh, we might have hoped for. So um, 
uh, yeah, a little disappointing to, to see that decision from the NRL and its broadcaster uh, when the uh, the big event is on. I would think they will uh, end up paying for it because um, I reckon that the hype will have built by then. Um, if the Matildas get the result we all hope for against uh, the Republic of Ireland, then um, that match on the Thursday night against uh, Nigeria hopefully will be the one that uh, becomes the blockbuster that everybody wants to see in the same way that we got up in the middle of the night and, um, and headed to all of those outdoor uh, venues to watch uh, the Socceroos in the, in the Worrisome World Cup and other big events um, over over the years where our national sides have done well. Okay, got that shit off my liver. <laughs> not All surprising, right. though. No, nah, it's not. Disappointing. Well, well done. Let's bring it home. I think we're out of time. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Adam. Until next week. Derek, thank you, mate. Cheers, guys. Go and watch your Cesc Fabregas highlights. I will. I will. And Adam, thank you, mate. Thank you again. Uh, it'll be less than a week till the World Cup next time we convene, and we've got a very special edition of Offsiders for you um, for the next week, as long as as well as uh, the usual uh, main show of ours and uh, and stoppage time. So please subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Let us like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.